And, you know, I wasn't in no military cell by myself. They had me out in, 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 in Jim Pop with some dudes in, in Cumberland County with some real killers. And there was this older cat there. And he, and, you know, and I'm sitting there and I got my glasses on and this, that, and the third. And, and then they brought me like the worst pair of glasses. They were big and thick. So I probably like a tax accountant sitting there. And God looks at me and he's like, uh, what you here for? Traffic tickets or something? <laughs> 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 and so, you know, me being me, you know, I'm, I'm still puffed up and I'm looking like, nah, bro, I'm here for murder. What up, what up, what up, what up? Once again, it's your favorite podcast, Three Brothers No Sense. I am proud to announce we have a special episode of Three Brothers. We're going to call it Four Brothers today. Of course, I have my co-host, Byron Evans, a.k.a. Buff, and Razio, a.k.a. Razio on here. But most importantly, we have a special guest. I don't even know how to set this young brother up. I've known him for about 25 years. Uh, one of the guys that probably helped me define what I call friendship and my relationship with friends. I think I'm a pretty decent friend from, from that point on. But uh, I think it's perfect timing, if you guys would agree. We have our all-class reunion coming up um, for John, John Ellaflor High School, you know, one of the greatest high schools ever. And this young man has actually written a series of short stories based on LaFleur High School. I've read most of them, actually uh, kind of upset that I haven't been able to read mine yet. Uh, I read a couple of other ones, but uh, without further ado, introducing to some, presenting to others, Sherman <laughs> Cooley, take it away. You're welcome to Four Brothers, baby. Hey, how is it? How are everybody doing out there? Uh, like you said, it's me, Sherman Cooley. I've been uh, away for a long while. I'm home, getting ready to make my way back to Mobile for this all class and Thanksgiving weekend. I can't wait to see everybody there. But before I get started, anything about the uh, the LaFleur High short stories and all those other things, let me first just first thank you all for, for hosting me here. You know, uh, Byron, Rozzy, Tavares, as he said, we've known each other for well over half our lives. Um, and also, let me say this, man. And this is from the bottom of my heart, very sincerely. I am proud of the man that you are. I mean, uh, I don't know. A lot of people out there may know some, may not. You know, I, I, spent, I was going away. I was gone for like 16 and a half years. I was incarcerated. I made a, a, a very fatal mistake when I was younger, 21 years old. And, um, you know, and it, and it cost me. I paid for it. I paid for it dearly. And... You know, over the years when everybody, when I was sitting there in the NSL and I was looking out at what was going on in life, I could always look out to you all and see the things that you were doing. And, you know, it just made me proud. It made me proud of the men you are, the fathers that you are, the husbands that you are. Um, even in the in the show, when the podcast, listening to the podcast every week and listening to your different points of views and varying points of views and the way that you articulate and express yourself, you know, um. I'm I'm proud of you all. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. And and more so, I remember I told Orazio this probably 17 plus years ago when I on some of my darkest days, when I was first going through the whole thing with the trial and everything else. And I was getting locked up and I looked at him and I said, bro, just make sure that when I come home, 
whenever I come home, we still us. And we still us. Appreciate that, bro. I got a tear. I, I shed a tear for a second. Oh, <laughs> oh, man. I the AC and my allergies. Mike, <laughs> <laughs> fucking cutting onions downstairs. We in Oklahoma, you know, just watch the Tulsa thing. You know, so, man, appreciate it, man. Much love. Uh, but, man, you, you made all this possible, man. You helped keep us together, like I said. You helped define friendship. And so... Uh, Enough about us, man. Tell us more about you and your book. That's what I want the people to talk about so they can start listening and um, reading and then vote me as their favorite character. Right, because Ferg, Ferg said he didn't get a chance to read his story. So <laughs> let, the re- let the listeners know what he meant by that and how the characters are loosely based on people that you know. Okay, well, the LaFleur High short stories are something I think that we all can relate to, not just us specifically because we went to and graduated from LaFleur. And uh, I will second what Tavares said. I feel like, especially when we were coming through in the mid to late 90s, LaFleur High was the school in Mobile, Alabama to be at and to be a part of. And so uh, whatever's going on down there now, I hear a lot of things that have been there, uh, like I said. But back then, when it was the March in 225, and that (laughs) basketball team was going to state every year, it was the school to be at. But uh, anyway, so the, the short stories are based loosely on uh, the characters. I always tell people when they ask me about um, the stories, people who have read some of the short stories and some of the, some of the other writings, the situations and events are fictional. The characters, and more, more than the characters, the relationships amongst the characters are real. Or they're very real. But again, as I said, not just specifically as it relates to us, being able to, you know, identify with the stories, but anybody, I mean, we've all been young teenagers um, transitioning from junior high to high school and having to navigate that new space. And so that's really what the short stories are about. There are a series of short stories that are written in the first person, um, first person perspective. And, you know, again, it's about being young teenagers and Coming in, like the first short story is uh, is Andre. That's the main character. And they're all, they're all like, you know, Andre, Mia, Brandon. They're all titled based on whoever's uh, point of view is going to be from. See, and then, then Jared, who would be <laughs> Tavares' first character, is Jared. That's um that's down the line, you know, it's four or five, thirty characters right now. I'm just yeah, kidding. And, and I, I definitely feel some kind of way that you didn't even choose to hide my name. It's just a Razio. I'm just you, you sound like a made up character. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, when he when he first mentioned that, I told him too, like, yeah, no, nobody believes that's your real name. <laughs> Anybody that's ever read those things, where'd you get that from? I'm like, no, that's that's actually his real name. <laughs> but um but, you know, these these characters are coming into high school from junior high and from various junior high schools throughout the city. Because, you know, LaFleur back then was a magnet school and it was drawn from all throughout the city. And so they come from varying backgrounds. And then they have um, a lot of misconceptions and preconceived notions about one another that you see play out. And, um, you know, coming in from Andre, the main character, he's, you know, He's from Tomanville. He's from the hood. He went to Booger T. Washington Middle School. And he's coming into this this magnet school where he's around a lot of students from other preparatory schools from like like Phillips Prep, uh, Clark School of Math and Science, um, Dunbar, Dunbar, 
School of what Performance and Arts, I think it was, or something like that. And and so he's around all these other characters and he's having to navigate this. And he's having to navigate not only, you know, the classroom, but having to navigate, you know, being on the football field. He's a football player and trying to be a freshman on the varsity football team and dealing with those ups and downs. And, you know, used to being a superstar and being the man on the field. And now, you know, he's second, third string. He's one of the slowest running backs. And you, you're, you're seeing all these things play out. And again, it's not just with him and his struggle and his little story, but you know, the interaction, the inner, um, the dynamics between him and other characters. Like, uh, and now this is something that's actually based on real life. I don't even know if you really remember this, but when we first met, we did not get along. No, I didn't get along with any of y'all when I first got it. We met. We met. And, and that's something that's real life in there that, uh, I didn't like a rise of y'all. Me neither. <laughs> but Jared, I'm so lovable. I don't understand no, how nobody like me. You are here, you little bastard. Arrogant. arrogant. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, but you know that's what it's about, and having these preconceived notions, and a lot of that is based on my own, you know, perception and reality of what of uh, what I thought coming into high school, going into Lafleur from Booker T. That okay, all these Phillips dudes are pretty boys, and all these Phillips girls are stuck up. And it's this, that, and the third. And you know, you don't you don't know any better. And you know, mind you that I'm, I'm writing this as an adult, but I'm writing this from the frame of mind and thought processes of a 14, 15 year old kid. And so these are the things that he thinks. You know, of course, looking back on it, it gives me the insight to be able to say, okay, he's going to learn this. He's going to figure out that to where Jared is going to become one of his best friends later on down the line. What I love about the story, man, I don't know if you ever watched This Is Us. Uh, sure, if you haven't, it's a great show. One of the, to me, one of the best shows on television. Basically, it's about life and perspective. So it's people going through the exact same time period, experiencing life, but seeing it from their point of view. And it, it's crazy because we all have different perspectives, but it all leads to one point. And it, it molds how we look at things, how what sh- how it shapes us and stuff like that. So every time I read a different story and knowing the backstory from the story before, it's like, oh, so this was going on when I was doing this, thinking this my, the life, the world was revolving around me. You were dealing with all this. Exactly. You know? Exactly. That's part of the beauty of your stories, man, is you're looking at perspectives and uh, don't want to spoil it, but like for me, reading your stories, I remember we had a conversation a few weeks ago. It was like I didn't realize, no, realize there was like this hierarchy, you know, in the 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 high school. You know, different schools looked at other people at other ways, and I was just looking at whoever had the finest chicks and um, not trying to get beat up by uh, seniors because I was a freshman. So that was my that was my <laughs> you know so. Man, I really, I'm really interested in reading the rest of the stories and want to get the readers to get it as well. So I don't want to interrupt anymore. Continue your thought process, my man. Well, actually, go ahead, Roger. I, I did want to ask. So, like, time-wise, how, when when are they going to be dropping? When are they going to be accessible? That type of thing. Well, we are looking to make Andre accessible in the this week, actually, actually. So uh, everywhere that um. Everywhere you get your ebooks, look for it. And also, I, I think aside from Amazon, because Amazon doesn't allow it, if on, on Amazon it's probably going to be like a 99 cent fee 
That's what I've been uh, hearing in my research. But everywhere else, I'm trying to make it free, man. I want everybody to get them, read them, uh, enjoy them, comment on them. So, you know, as an artist, I mean, obviously everybody wants to make money. Everybody wants to be well-known, this, that, and the third. But when you're creating something, you really want the people to see it. You want the people to, you know, have a reaction, have uh, a vested interest in it. And everything else kind of becomes secondary. So, and especially the people that, you know, that we grew up with that, uh, you know, who may see your character and may and may wonder to themselves, well, is, is this me? This that and, and all these other things. And I, and I will say this, Tavares actually mentioned this before, that, um, you know, they're composite characters. They're, aside from the people that you know, like Orazio, Orazio is obviously Orazio. You know, uh, Byron is obviously Brandon and Allison is obviously Mia. You know, those other things. But there are different composite characters. And, um, yeah, I, I definitely going to have it available on pretty much every platform where you can get your ebook, downloads, uh, PDF downloads, just everywhere. I want it to be as accessible as possible to people. Nice. Yeah, that composite character thing is crazy. So if you think he's talking about you and you're offended, he's not talking about you. Yeah, that's think, the composite part. If you think he's talking about you and you love it, you're exactly who he had in his mind when he wrote the story. You so. know what? I'll say this. I will say, I'll say this one thing, right? When you talk about, uh, you know, somebody maybe being offended, of course, when you go through high school and you're doing all these things to your kids, you have people you like, people you don't like, right? Mm-hmm. Let me tell you one of the things that prison does to you when you're away from home and you're away from everything and everybody you love. People that you nece- didn't necessarily like in high school, but who remind you at home, when you when you are gone away for 10, 12, however many years, you start to love and miss those people. <laughs> I can imagine. I'm serious. I'm, I'm 100% serious, bro. Like, uh, there will be people that I may run into in fairs every now and again. Some I may know well, some I may not know too well, but they're just from Mobile. Or... I actually may know them. Like I went to school with them. Maybe I have to say two words from them. They're like your best friend just because they remind you at home. But all of that to say, you know, I didn't, I didn't write anything with any malice towards anybody. Like, oh no, I didn't write, I didn't like them. So let me write this about them. Like, uh, like I remember, uh, Ferg, that was one character that you mentioned in, uh, that's recurring in the first few books or whatnot. And in the books, you know, she's like a very fly chick. She's like the queen bee of the uh, the Phyllis Quick Click, who are like the top top of the uh, echelon. <laughs> you give them too much, man. You give them too no, much. No, I'm, I'm just gonna say this. I'm just gonna say this though. And you were kind of worried about it. And I was like, okay, well, the people that that particular character, she was she was based off of somebody, but it still was more so of a composite. But even that particular character. The reason I, I made that particular girl, that character, was because I had the biggest crush on her when we were freshmen. And to me, it was like she was the fly chick. And it was like, and and she wasn't the main chick. Like she wasn't the she wasn't the top chick of the Phillips chicks when you thought about that our freshman year. But to me, she in my mind, she was. Mm. And so when I wrote the short story, I made her that. Now, of course, like all of the nasty stuff and all these other these other things that you mentioned, like um, you know, that is the composite part. That's like, okay, that's the made up part about it. And uh, I'll give you another example that's going to be close, uh, more um, closer to your heart, Tavares. Um, when you get to Jerry's short story, your short story. Uh, 
and they're going to be easily recognizable, I think, even though names have been changed. But uh, some of your family members, um, one of your family members, actually, uh, who everybody loves, everybody loves. I don't think she would mind me saying her name. Everybody loves Shelly. And she was and that's been that's been that way since I was in sixth grade. She's been like the sweetest. She was the sweetest girl. She was like the friendliest person. And she comes across just that way in the short stories because that's who she was. You have another cousin. And um, I had the when we were in middle school, I had the biggest crush on her. But she was just mean. She was just mean. And so and uh, and I don't think I ever said two words to her in middle school because I used to be kind of scared of her. Because she was so mean, but I used to love her to death. Hey, but man, that's any- my cousin. My <laughs> <laughs> man, this is twenty plus years ago. <clears throat> but anyway, so in the in the books, you know, I do make her more of uh, I'll put it this way, less of a sympathetic character. Okay. And but the reason I did that is be is because she had such an impression on me because I had such a crush on her. And so I just took that, okay, she was kind of mean in a way like, you know, like she was kind of hard, like she was kind of hood in a way to where, okay, I'm going to twist that this way. And I guess all that, all of that is to say, if you see a character in the, in the short stories and you think they are related to you or that it may be you, it's because you had some kind of impression on me when we were uh, in high school or maybe even before high school and middle school and it kind of stuck with me. And so, I, of course, I just kind of twisted and turned it because every character can't love every character. It can't be a whole big kumbaya, kumbaya moment or whatever. Yeah. And, so. and I, I think a lot of folks, you know, the creative process, they forget that it's based on you know, people, it's not a biography. So you're going to change them up a little bit because you need a story arc, right? <laughs> you, you need a plot line. So you, you got to make some changes to, to make it happen. Uh, and you can't have a million characters just so that you can introduce, you know, all the good people and, and make up all the bad people. So, uh, you know, don't get offended if he had to do that. I, I think it's one of those things that it makes the better. The stories are so good because of that. Absolutely. Well, uh, Man, I feel like we've been pumping your book, man. And that wasn't even the intent of the show, man. We just wanted to get you on. So uh, now we did that. Let's go pay some bills, fellas. Welcome back. Uh, once again, your favorite podcast. Used to be Three Brothers No Sense, but before this episode is Four Brothers No Sense. Um, joined with Sherman Cooley and, of course, my regular co-host, those dudes. But uh, we're going to do things a little different today because we have Sherman on here. We so, don't matter today. <laughs> you don't matter, really. And Sherman didn't like me 20-some years ago, I'm going to do something different. So I'm going to yield my question and let Sherman have the floor. Sherman, <laughs> what do you have on your mind? What do you want to get out to the re- uh, the listeners, man? What's I love you now, brother. I love you now. Oh, that's my I question back then. I, so. I just didn't <laughs> like you then. <laughs> no, man. No, seriously, though. Um, because I'm an artist and because you know, in the spirit of all this and everything we've just been talking about recently. Um, You know, Byron and I, years ago, we used to have this debate. And I think um, my own point of view on it has kind of evolved over time. But I was just I was just interested to get you all's point of view on it. And so my question is this, as it relates to 
our culture, the, um, you know, Black America, African American culture. Um, what responsibility do artists, you know, rappers, specifically rappers, but artists in general, have for the content that they produce? Mm. Or do they have any responsibility, you think? Go ahead, Rosie. <laughs> yeah, you guys know I'm, I'm very opinionated, but uh, no, I, I I definitely think they do have a responsibility. I, I think they have a responsibility to tell the truth, uh, and and so whether that's good or bad is telling the truth. So uh, I, I was watching. I, I don't know if it was re- the Revolt Summit or something. Somebody asked Ti. They were like, "How do we get rappers to start stop talking about?" gang violence and poverty and drug dealings. He's like, change the economic environment and they won't talk about it anymore because they're just talking about what they're living. So as long as you're speaking your truth, I think that is your responsibility to speak the truth. Now, if you making up these stylized versions of yourself and talking about how you live in the life and you drug dealing and everything like that, and you really haven't lived it and really can't speak to it, I think that's the issue. So speaking the truth, but then when you speak the truth, really kind of coming back in and talking about how it affected you and the family and everything else. And so I, I think media has a really bad uh, way of picking and choosing the, I'm going to tell the the hood part of my story. And then I have to embed all the good pieces into my album. You know, uh, back in the day, it used to be on the B side, right? My B side would be me telling you, all the good stuff that happened or, or how I got over this stuff, but the A side end up being all the bang, bang, shoot them up, kill them because that's what the, the industry was telling them. That's what sold. Uh, so the artists definitely have to one control their destiny. They have to actually control what they want to put out and, and speak the truth. Um, uh, but they do have a responsibility to, t- uh, to make sure that they're telling their, their whole truth, not partially. So if you're, if you're dealing drugs, and and you did that in the past, that's fine. But don't be talking about you're still dealing drugs if that's not what you're doing anymore. Talk about how you got out. Talk about how you use that money to reinvest it and put it somewhere where people can actually get out of the hood with that money. I mean, I, I think uh, it was Killer Mike that uh, made that conversation. He was talking about, uh, or that comment, he was talking about, you know, talk to your uh, drug dealer friends about, reinvesting this money because the the intent is to get out of the hood it's not to stay in the hood and keep selling drugs all your life so you need to have a plan to get out uh so and i think the artists need to talk through that piece about how they got out and how they use the 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 artistry or the rap music or whatever to get out if they uh if they did do that and we disagree uh, oh you beat me to it um uh, an artist does not have a responsibility to tell the truth. I don't care if you sold drugs or not. Be entertaining. That's what an artist's job is to do. <laughs> you be, be entertaining because it don't matter if you're talking about selling dope. If you whack, we ain't checking for you, bro. Point blank, period. So, no, they don't. I mean, I kind of get what Razio is saying in, in a sense, but no, they don't. When, when you're rapping a song or whatever, like, Jay-Z was no, I mean, Biggie Smalls was no drug kingpin. I mean, Pac ain't do half of that stuff he was talking about. It doesn't have to be true. Just be entertained. I think the responsibility part comes in is when you're, when you're like how you're on this show now, Sherman, talking about your book and stuff. When you're doing the media tour and all that stuff and you, and you sit down for an interview 
and you're not in young Jeezy mode, you're not in Jay-Z mode, you're in Sean Carter mode, then yeah, you talk about, yeah, I talk about these things in my, my music, but here's the downside of doing the stuff that I did or that I'm talking about. You know, that's when you, when, when you put the responsibility out there, but I think there, it should be a lane for adult entertainment. I don't think everything should be catered to kids and, and worrying about will this influence them or would that, would that influence them? Because the bottom line is that was murders before rap, that was drug dealing before rap, and it's going to be murders and drug dealing during rap and after rap. So there's always going to be bad influences that influence people depending on your upbringing, your environment, and just how susceptible you are to being influenced and doing those type of things. So I I just would say if there's any responsibility on them, that's when you do it. When you go on the uh, the MTVs, well, MTV probably don't even interview artists anymore, but when you go on <laughs> these type of talk shows or when you're being interviewed, you know, I think it is important. And, and rappers are getting so many more platforms now than when we were growing up. Lil Wayne yeah. is on ESPN. Jeezy is on Jacoby and uh, that other guy's show on ESPN. Like, Ja Rule was on Fox News Business. So <laughs> they, they, they got all type of platforms. The president is talking, to, I mean, former President Obama is talking about listening to Lil Wayne. So that that's the time when you can, you know, really talk to you know, the people that may be influenced to do the wrong things and say, hey, this is just entertainment. Remind them this is entertainment. Like when Denzel Washington plays Frank Lucas, an American gangster, he's not worrying about how responsible he looks in the movie. But when he sits down for the interview, he's going to let you know that he ain't shooting Stringer Bell in the middle of the street. So (laughs) that that's that's my piece on that. Uh, We got four of us. so I don't want to take up too much time. Well, yeah, Byron, I'm glad you said that because I was about to uh, vehemently disagree with Razzie. You know, it was funny is prior to your question, I probably lean more to Razzie's side. I'm glad you jumped in first, Razzie, because then I started thinking, listening, like, I agree with you more so, Buff, but I agree with that it should be entertaining part. But I think the onus is on us. Why are we why are we giving these guys so much? Respect, like first of all, why are we asking rappers to be responsible? Like, if if the idea of rappers are drug dealers and womanizers, all this stuff, that's who we go to for responsibility. <laughs> it's like, well, you need to be more responsible and be a role model to my kids. Why he used to be a he? He told you he used to be a drug dealer. <laughs> Hope did so, that. So hopefully so you don't have to go through that. <laughs> all expected to turn around because we're buying kids or letting them download his albums or listening to the car or because we like it. I agree. Maybe there should be some, you know, more onus on us. Like maybe our kids don't need to listen to that. Like I get in the car now, and believe it or not, I have kids bop on. And I, it's all so much. I forget. I'll drop my daughter off, and it'll be halfway through the day. It's like, damn! I keep hearing the same songs over and over. And I realize I've been listening to Kids Bop all damn day, you know. So, <laughs> but that's real life. But the thing about it is, why are they the people we're going to? Why are why do they have to be responsible? I'm not saying all rappers are drug dealers or anything like that, but well, do I think- we have other role models that should be? maybe even better examples or why do we put that responsibility on them? Like you said, we don't ask Denzel Washington to judge what characters he plays. Well, I think, I think, I, uh, I think the, go ahead. I think Sherman probably going to say it, but I think the retort is rappers are, are some of the more influential 
And the problem is that is that theirs or ours? Why are the rappers yeah. or artists the most influential people in our community? Was it, you think was about it Charles Barkley that said, "I'm not a role model"? Yeah, yeah way back in the day. We want Beyonce to speak out more. You know, like people people look to the, the entertainers to be the voices of our community. And now, yes, they do have a bigger uh, platform to speak and deliver a message. But at the same time, just because you can sing a rap does not mean you need to be delivering our message. Kanye is a perfect example. We need, to be, we need to be able to say, hey, I like your music, but we don't need to follow you. And if we feel like you are misrepresenting us outside like of being an outside of being an entertainer and you start speaking for us and trying to reprimand us or give us guidance, that's when like, hold on. I don't need you telling my kids that being a slave was a choice blocked. Yep. You know, you know, your albums and your music, you know, I might not agree with, but it might be catchy. So I'm bumping it. But when you started trying to speak on our behalf, that's when I had to say, well, you know what? No, nah, you're good. Almost like uh, they do some of these uh, basketball players. I hate to I hate to say it, but like not going to stick to what you know. Speak on behalf of yourself. Don't speak on behalf of us. And if you do and we don't agree, be willing to pay the consequences. Well, I'll say this. Uh, actually, I think um, I said that I think my position had evolved a lot. I think Byron's position evolved a lot. I remember way back in the day, Back I was on the opposite that, side. Yeah. Exactly. This whole Don Imus and, you know, I remember this, they had this whole hip hop versus America thing that was going on. It's funny, Roger mentioned T.I. just recently because I remember him being on that platform on BET with Al Sharpton and all of them and debating, you know, hip hop's or artists' uh, responsibility in these situations. And you know, I used to be all the way to the left. Like, they have absolutely no responsibility. It's, it's just it's entertainment. And a lot of the things, a lot of the things that Byron just articulated that, um, you know, drugs are being sold. People are being killed in the street and people are. I remember one of my biggest arguments used to be that, you know, rap music doesn't make people go sell drugs. Being broke makes people go sell drugs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I remember uh, making it even more personal to me. And I, I still firmly believe this to this day. One of the things that probably saved me to where I didn't go down that route in high school because, you know, I knew people. I, you know, I'm from Tomlinville, so I knew drug dealers. I knew I knew where to go get that package and what to do with it if I got it. And one of the things that I think kind of saved me from even being influenced in that direction at all is the year that we started high school, what happened? They started making us wear uniforms. And so yeah. I didn't ha- I didn't have that pressure to dress up and look that I-, I can go get, you know, four or five uniforms, whatever. And we all look alike. And so I didn't have that pressure to have these J's and to have these nautical shirts and these polo pants and all this other stuff. And so I think that's and I, I think that's more of a socioeconomic thing, not a, a cultural slash artistic thing. But uh, I will say this. I do believe that artists have some responsibility. And I think the, uh, the bulk of that responsibility lies in something that Brian said, and that is to make sure that their listeners, especially the, the younger listeners, because we can we can uh, slap a parental advisory label over a CD or whatever, however the kids get their music today. But, you know, they're going to listen. They're going to consume it. And we know this. So I think they have a responsibility 
to make sure that they know that this is for entertainment purposes only. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first went to, uh, when I first got locked up, it was actually before my trial. I was still in pre-trial confinement. I was, I probably had been in that little holding cell for like two days in North Carolina. And, uh, and you know, I wasn't in no military cell by myself. They had me out in, in, in Jim Pop with some dudes in, in Cumberland County with some real killers. And there was this older cat there. And he, and, you know, and I'm sitting there and I got my glasses on and this, that, and the third. And, and then they brought me like the worst pair of glasses. They were big and thick. So I probably like a tax accountant sitting there. And God looks at me and he's like, uh, what you here for? Traffic tickets or something? <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, me being me, you know, I'm, I'm still puffed up and I'm looking like, nah, bro, I'm here for murder. That's what I'm here for. And and so now, now everybody wants to know and they listening to the whole story. Oh, you was the guy that was on the news with the shooting on base and all this other stuff. With And for those who don't know, yeah, I got uh, I was involved in an altercation, got attacked by some guys and it just went way left. But uh, in any case, that man looked at me and he said something that has, that has stuck with me for 17 plus years. And that was, he was like, you young dudes you have to realize that all that stuff you see on TV and all that stuff you hear on the radio is for entertainment purposes only. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I don't care whether we're talking about me in that situation or we're talking about young Jeezy or we're talking about, I don't know, whoever your favorite trap, trap rapper is whoever, or whoever he is today. Young Jeezy wouldn't be Young Jeezy if he was still on that on on that corner, doing the things that he raps about. So at a certain point, and I think one of you all mentioned this, at a certain point he made a conscious decision to be in that studio, and to be putting in that work, and to be writing in that notebook, and doing the things that it takes to be successful. Um, you know, uh, I heard Brian mention it before that you know we he I and uh, Wendell had a rap group back in the day, and. I can tell you just from our little, our limited experience then that it is not easy. It takes a lot of hard work because a rap, rappers are a dime a dozen. You walk outside, you're going to trip over a rapper. And so to do the things that, that it takes to be successful, you have to remove yourself to a certain degree. And you see, and you see the, the, the tragic stories of those who don't, who try to keep one foot in and one foot out whether they're, they're lost in the prison system or whether they get gunned down in the street or they're in and out of jail all the time and they're just stalling out their career. Because to be successful in that, you have to make a choice. And so I think that's part of the responsibility that they have. And also, one of my biggest retorts to, you know, rappers putting out this bad image and they're portraying this bad image and making us look bad is something that Vine actually mentioned. And I used to always use Denzel Washington. And it wasn't uh, Frank Lucas. I used to always say, nobody said anything about to Denzel about being, you know, Lonzo on training day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, you know, nobody looked at him and was like, you know, oh, you made black people look bad. You made black America look bad because he's he's an artist and he's practicing his craft and it's for entertainment purposes only. But I think that's the responsibility that we as artists have to our public. Y'all, y'all said it so much better. That's what I meant. When I was uh, like, no, you, you I, wanted I, to I, I say, yeah. I wanted to be the on Mr. Rogers and that betrayed and shit. But at the same time, you got to admit, I don't think all these, especially these younger rappers who grew up, maybe not doing this, 
but they know that's what sells. Like you said, it's for entertainment purposes. And a lot of them aren't even telling about selling drugs anymore. A lot of them are telling about, talking about doing drugs. And now the new, you know, the new thing is I'm on this Molly, I'm on this X, I'm on this Zan. Like they, they doped up. And, but for them, that's real life. That's all they know, you know, and, it, and it's real. And so the thing about it is we have to, I think for us, be more responsible saying, even if my 15 year old, 60 year old son or daughter listens to this, is this the most influential person in their life? You're like, what other people are we getting them to be around or listen to or read? You know, like you as an artist, you're like, hey, I still want to, you know, you don't uh, rap anymore, but you're a writer. You know, do you feel like you have that same responsibility as a writer that you would as a rapper? To be honest, I think my struggle there is a little bit different. And, uh, you know, anybody that knows me, that has known me for any amount of time knows that I'm a Christian. And so, and being a Christian and, you know, I'm not one of those jailhouse prisons. I ain't go to uh, jailhouse Christians, excuse me. I ain't go to prison and find Jesus. So as a writer to, for me, that's, that's kind of a struggle. That's something I still battle with. Like, okay, you know, my books are secular. And, and, you know, I come from a, 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 a Pentecostal um, background, a household to where, you know, my aunt, who is like the spiritual head of our family now, I ain't, I've never seen her in a pair of pants ever. Wow. She in her 50s. And so, you know, and she'll never read one of my books because it's secular. And, and I don't understand that because she loves her some Denzel Washington now. And she'll watch a movie. You know what I'm saying? You know they have Denzel, bro. <laughs> but I'm saying it's like those are still that's secular entertainment. Now there's there are things she's on she she isn't going to watch. You know, she ain't gonna sit through no rated R movie, all these other these other things. But I do feel like as a as a writer, I I have to portray well, first off, back to like what Byron said. My first my first duty is to entertain. I'm a fiction writer. So it's, it's entertainment, it's escapism. That's my first duty. But then I do feel like, okay, I always, as a writer, I want what I write to have a real tint to it. I want it to have some kind of realism. It can be fantastical to an extent, but, you know, it can't be, you know, the ton- the Tony Montana in the mansion where he just gunned, he didn't he didn't gun down an army of people and he's so coked up, he's basically a walking zombie and he's just, you know, mowing through this army. When I say it needs to have some kind it needs to have some kind of reality in, in it, is that okay, well, you do these things, there are going to be consequences. Maybe you can get out of these consequences, but you never get out unscathed. Like uh some of the some of the things that I write, some of the um, some of the other books and things that I write, people always look at it and they're like, "Well, why did this happen to this character? Why did you make this happen?" And I always look at them like, "Yo, you know, bad guys have guns too. So you do that, there's gonna be some kind of consequence." And so to me, I feel like, and this is just a this is just an, an artistic choice that you know I want I want to have that degree of realism there, like you know. And that's 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 really where I'll come down on it. You made a good point, though. You started with I, I write fiction. Do you think that if they put that on almost like a warning label on music, like bitches is fiction, like it is what it is? Uh, like would made, that, made genres, like oh, like, this, yeah. this is biographer. You know, like I, 
Because then talk to kid like, if this is all true, you know Bio- you will be biographical. 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 That's it. I was, <laughs> you were smart two weeks ago. <laughs> 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 it's late. Oh, uh, but uh, the thing about it is, you know, like explain to the kids, hey, if this is all, if everything he's saying is true, he he either should be locked up, will be locked up, but will be dead in the next few few months. And I think they did that. Uh, what was that? The Breakfast Club interview with uh, Takashi? Was that Breakfast Club when they did that? Like, dude, you need to slow down? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And because he was still trying to live that life and he was and now he's trying to say it was fiction but his fiction was more biographical. Uh, that man's in deep. Yeah. You know, so um, I think that was a great question, man. Anybody else anything on that question? Okay, so. I, I want to I know what Erica's over there eating. Cause uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wait a I heard, I heard I the plate pop now. Wait <laughs> a minute! I think she's cleaning. I heard a microwave. No, I heard a microwave. I heard a hot. It sounded about two minutes and thirty seconds. I feel like there's a hot pocket or something in there. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, next, next question. <laughs> uh, who's up next? I go. Um, so since it's four of us, I think this is the perfect time to ask this question. And what brought it to my mind was uh, I watched this Matt Barnes interview about his fight with Derek Fisher. And also I have a coworker who once told me, he was like, let me tell you something. I have a brother that I'm very close with, like a blood brother, not how we say we brothers, like they are real brothers. He was like, when he over my house and my wife is there, if I got to go to the store, we got to go to the store. Ain't no man stand at my house with my wife, I don't care who it is. So it made me ask you want to ask you guys this question because Derek, because Matt Barnes was pissed at Derek Fisher, because you know they're both in that NBA circle, and even though they're not friends, he's like, look, you know that's my ex-wife. At least you know you're gonna be around my kids. Give me a heads up, hey man, me and your ex-wife are dating. So since it's four of us, I want to get exactly what true bro code is. For the listeners, like what are the rules? Like we know, for example, not to date somebody's ex. However, if if it's a, if, if it's your homeboy who dated a girl back in ninth grade, and now y'all like thirty six, like is it a time limit on it? Like what exactly are all the rules when it comes hey, to that? You better grow up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you take it first, then, man. So what what's the what's the rules on that, man? Like. I mean, I, to me, this is easy. Like you in a in a situation you just laid out, right? Like you talking about some girl that you dated way back in ninety six, ninety nine, whatever. And now you married with your own family, yo, dog. That's open game right now. What are you talking about? Like you better go lay down with your wife. You only get one. Yeah, you only get one. Oh, uh, now ex exes are often like ex wives are often often like I can see you know ten years from now me coming to Mobile seeing you guys at the all class reunion with my wife and kids on your arm. Or <laughs> 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 you know Sabrina, right? <laughs> Ain't no show. <laughs> we cancel on the show, but you know, like I, I'm with you. You know, I'm with you. You know. Uh, but I think also depends on how close you were with the dude too, right? Like yeah, close, especially close. Like if, if you were, if we 
we were just cool. We, we graduated together. I owe you nothing. I will I will I'll say this. I'll amend a little bit. And not back on that whole thing about some girl you had a crush on in the night grade and that. But if it, if there is to be some kind of interaction or whatever with uh like an ex or uh, an ex that he was very serious with, then I think Matt Barnes is right in that dude, especially if y'all close, you need to have a conversation with me. Mm-hmm. Like and you need to have a conversation with me before anything happens. And then you need to make sure that this is worth it. Like, you know, you don't want to, you know, jeopardize a real friendship, a real brotherhood with somebody that you love because you want to see what this over here is hitting like. Yeah. You don't want to do that. <laughs> I mean, in, in that Matt Barnes situation, though, I I look at that as like a coworker. You know what I mean? you like, oh, we're in this this basketball that's a co-worker and I'm sorry my co-worker X is fair game at that point that that <laughs> you know what I mean hey uh I just heard you on a I just heard you on the episode a couple of weeks ago talking about I'm five six 150 something pounds now <laughs> don't, don't mean I can't fight like, okay. if they gotta come to that but what okay. I'm saying like, I'll need like, this, like, this job like, like my, my thing is I can, I can use my organization, right? This is about 10,000 folks in my in the U.S. operation alone. So 10,000 folks. I, I can't be like, oh, all 10,000 of them co-workers-wise. Now, if they on my team, like if, if they're on the exact same team, that they're might be totally office. different. They're yeah, in, your in your office, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like they in my office, I can't do it. But if if they on the 17th floor and I'm on the first floor and I see them going up the elevator every once in a while, that type of thing. I'm sorry. Like I, I had like you said, I have you, no qualms about dating your ex-wife. That ain't got nothing to do with him. But you know them. So I'm not saying you shouldn't date her. I'm just saying he shouldn't find out when he coming by the house and you sitting on the couch. Because you know how NBA players they move unless you a superstar, you moving around almost every year. Derek Fisher was a player and a coach. Things cross like the NBA circle is small. You don't think Derek owed him any man, type of hey, man? Forget NBA circle. I'm talking about Rosio at, <laughs> at at work in the office at the bank. And you kind of being real dismissive about coworkers. Like you see coworkers every day, Rosio. That's like, what I'm saying. You at least owe this man to say, "Hey, look, bro." I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like I'm I'm liking it to when I say coworker, I'm like we work in the same organization versus coworker like we interact on a daily basis. Hey, Bob, like, can I borrow your stapler? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Bob, I can't, I can't like, go with Bob ex-wife or, or, you know, ex-lady, but, you know, like I said, the guy on the 17th floor that I'll only see walking in, nah, like, I'm not... Okay, that, so I don't owe him anything. If you, if you see that, let me put it like this. If you see that guy and you see that guy enough to know that that's his wife... Right. I and saw to him at Bob's party. And to see able and to recognize and be familiar enough with him, and he be familiar enough with you. So when he walk in his house and he see you or his old his former house, and he see you sitting on the couch, and no, this is a Rosio Mancarella from work. That he should not be surprised. That he should know. But at what point do you tell him though? So first of I mean, all, this is my secret to tell. Like, there's a couple. There's a couple <laughs> things that go, that go on. So Rosio, first of all. Smoke. <laughs> he wanted. I wonder why didn't nobody like him at night grade. But if you if you over there plotting, like okay, 
Like if you over the plot and like we break up tomorrow and then all of a sudden you you showing up at the office the next day with flowers or something. <laughs> but you have, you know, like they they got a divorce, time has passed, you meet her on a you go out of town for vacation or homecoming or you didn't know realize you guys went to the same school and you just happen to connect and something happens and you keep you try to see where the relationship goes. I mean, first of all, I do agree that to a certain extent, that's not your story to or your secret to tell. So it's like, hey, I would say, look, hey, you know what? You know, I do work with Razio. You know, this looks like it's going somewhere. I feel like we need to let him know what how do you want to play this? Because I don't want to come back to the office the Monday after homecoming. High five. Razio, like, look, bro, I don't know how to tell you this. Smash your ex-wife. I mean, I don't know where it's going to go. It may, may or may not be anything, but um I might be your kid's new daddy. Like, (laughs) how do you play that? You know, like it's, it's. Hey, y'all remember uh, back when we were uh, in high school and we were five chicks with a uh, baby. (laughs) He'd be like, hey, I'm your new stepdaddy. (laughs) Wendell would tap tap the kid on the shoulder like, you know that's your new stepdaddy, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) The kid be looking crazy. So, Uh, so, So a few things, man. Obviously, it matters how close you are. So, like with any of you guys, I mean, if I if I ever become single, your ex wives are certainly off limits. And then, if if you was if you were like really serious about somebody in high school, so like um, any 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 of your exes that you were serious about in high school, Sherman, that's off limits too to me. And now, I dated my ex in high school. I'm talking about like serious, serious man, like. You know, but somebody else that I just went to high school with. So, so you disagree, huh? So, so X is a fair game too. Hey I'm man, talking about high school, son. I'm talking about. Let's say they're not even married. They dated for a long time. Yada yada yada. Let's take it away from being all us being married. We're that's why we need to get this bro code straight. I think rule number one is no plotting. Like it's like I can't be sitting there dating. Let's say we're this 2005. Wait till y'all break up, man. the Missouri tab. And as soon as something happened. Man, you all right, Tab? You know, <laughs> you need a shoulder to cry on. <laughs> That's cold. You know, like that 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 ain't right. You know, so you waiting. But if that's how me and Tab got into a disagreement when we was watching Raising Dion, because um, what's my man name? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Mike, Michael B. Jordan, his best friend. He was just coming oh, around. I- He's coming around his ex-wife a little too much. I said, I knew he was a villain. <laughs> he, well, he was, creep, he was creeping yet. from day one, man. I haven't, I haven't seen it all yet, but... Uh, I, was, I was so... Oblivious. My bad, see, y'all. see again, up. again, it, I, I guess it kind of comes out. I'm, I'm super oblivious to that because I was like, man, he's a good guy. He's just trying to, you know, make sure Dion's okay. <laughs> I don't even watch the damn show anymore. Thank you. But, um, no, bro code number one is like no creeping. No, no plotting. Okay. Yeah, um, you can't plot. Sherman is adamant about if you date in high school. What what if they got a kid with that girl? They dated in high school, you know, a couple of girls got pregnant. What if they got a kid together, Sherman? I mean, put it like this, bro. First off, if it's, if it's one of my if it's one of y'all or somebody that I'm close to, we're gonna have a conversation. 
<laughs> if y'all saw the way he said conversation, it ain't no damn talking. I think he's just gonna let you know. <laughs> hey, yo, look at no, no, we gonna have a conversation, but um, I don't know. I mean, certain relationships in high school are more serious than others because you know, back when we were in high school, we thought we were grown. You know what? I ain't even. I ain't, even go there. I ain't even gonna go there with Tavares, man. I ain't gonna do this with you. Uh, we thought we were grown. And so, yeah, we were in some very serious relationships. But all I would expect from either of you, any of you today, when I'm sitting here with the whole wife, is a, is a conversation like, hey, look, Sherman, uh, you know, I'm digging such and such, and I think she's feeling me, and we wanna take this thing to the next level. And I'm not saying you're asking for my permission. I'm probably going to let you know how I feel about it one way or the other. But then you're free to go do what you want to do. I got to respect that. I have a whole wife over here. And you're talking about 20 years ago. But I think that's with rules. Because you don't see that as much with married people. I think that the, the bro code happens more so when you're mid-20s, you know, 30s type thing. You know, this is once again, call it 10, 15 years ago, 2005. Would, would that conversation be the same without the whole wife? Broco. I think, so. yeah, I think it's still the same. It's still the same. Like, I'm not lying, bro. Because I mean, you're a grown man first and foremost, and I know if the shoe is on the other foot, ain't no grown man finna tell me what I am and I ain't about to do. True. At the same time, because you're a grown man and because I care for you and you are important to me and and are an important part of my life, then there's one way for you to find this out, and it's by it's through me. By me yeah. and us sitting down and having a mature conversation about it. Yeah. I, I look at it as, like, especially if if the homeboy is close enough to me that I know how the breakup was. I think that really ma- is what matters. Like if she broke your heart and you called like me crying and I had to like you know come over and be a homeboy and be like dog, I'm taking you to the strip club because you know obviously you need to get over this chick type thing. That I, I feel like she's off limits. You know what I mean? Because right, so that was really, twenty really years had, ago, son. No matter. You like you really had that man was sitting there with stop bubbles. Yeah. You know, <laughs> hey, you Negroes south. I want you to know some south you know ninjas. If y'all actually had a clean break and or you you messed up and you cheated on her and you know y'all y'all I, at that point it, it was your fault. She freaked out. Wait a minute. <laughs> do, do we have? So we only have one rule so far. We ain't read on nothing. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I, that's what I was about to say. It sounds like it's just, no it's, it just depends on the two bros and whatever code they have established. But I will say one bro code I think we all agree on is we're not telling on each other. And ladies, before you judge us, we know y'all do the same thing. Y'all don't tell on each other. Matter of fact, Miss Wakanda, you said you'll be the alibi. So <laughs> ain't none of y'all finna judge us. Okay. That's the only thing we yeah, can do. I saw that too. <laughs> That's ultimate bro code. I ain't telling on none of y'all. Like I said, that ain't my secret to tell. That ain't got. I ain't got nothing to do with that. So I guess it is. Even though we're all married, I'm thinking. Only thing I can agree is no plot. And I think there's a timeline too. Like we can't break up today, and then you get timeline. And you you you, you bring her to Christmas dinner. You know, and it's yeah, already November months from now. Yeah, you know, like it, it's like. And then your intent too. I think that's also like if, you know, rise you in a serious relationship and y'all dated for two, three years, 
We're 25, 26. Now, now high school. Let's talk about growing a relationship. High school, you dated for 20, you know, two, three years. Y'all break up and you really cared about it. And all of a sudden, I'm just trying to smash. I'm about to dog her out. Unless she dogged you out. Exactly. And I owe it. Exactly. Because I, 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 I don't... I'm gonna tell it. I don't care. Whatever. She listening. She listening. Cause uh, I had a homeboy that had to uh, call me and be like, "Hey, you know me and such and such. You know I'm starting to feel it." And I was like, "Oh, have at it. Like dog her out. Like you can do whatever with her. I don't care because you know I was I I got dogged out and I got hurt and so I was like, whatever, do whatever with her. So, that but my sense. homeboy did reach out to me and was like, "Hey, I'm starting to feel her. I'm a I'm a you know I want to go further with it." Oh, she dogged him out too. So, and I was like, I was sitting in the background, like, told you. She goes. Sherman <laughs> says y'all got one presidential term, four years, and then she fat game. No matter, <laughs> no matter what kind of rules y'all love. So, so time guy, do we got time for one more question, man, or, or what's up? Yeah, it's man, a special. It's it. a special edition. So, yeah, let's all go right. For it. Go right for it. on you. All right, so this one might be a little short anyway. So, I want to ask y'all. We talked a little bit about how y'all were rappers and everything like that. What was the best concert you can remember that you ever went to? Mm, mm, mm. Uh, this might be a little embarrassing for me, but I've only been in one concert in my whole life. So that might be the best one then. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no limit, baby. That's the piece. You know what? That might be up. Like, I've been to a couple of concerts, and I've been to some great concerts, but I think that might be one of the best because that was like, I went with you. I remember that whole the whole day revolving around that. We went up to uh, the music box. Met we call the music box. To try to yep. meet them and everything. Um, we, we met Master P and Mia X and all of them. Yeah, that's uh, what Sherman decided he wanted to be a rapper after he met yeah. Master P. He gonna lie to he gonna lie on me on. I was gonna say national TV. Um, <laughs> he gonna lie on me on anchor, son. Well, correct me then, brother. I thought that's when you decided you wanted to be a rapper. I'm the one that took your your little rinky dink duo to a full fledged real group in the weight room <laughs> freshman year. I don't deny that, but you didn't decide to do that till after you met Master P. We didn't meet Master P till after freshman year. That was between freshman and sophomore year, son. We didn't do the rap group until after tenth grade. No, we didn't. All right, we getting we getting lost in the sauce. Um, best concert is a tie. I went to go see Fifty Cent when he first came out in Mobile. And Lil Wayne up here. I know a lot of people don't like Lil Wayne these days. Uh, kiss my ass. I like Lil Wayne. I like Lil Wayne. Like Lil Wayne or classic listen, Lil Wayne? Listen, listen. Let me tell you something about Lil Wayne. It, it ain't too many rappers that can say they started out as the third most popular person in their group and wind up being bigger than any of them in the group. So, like, you got Eminem and D12. Well, nobody bigger than Eminem. Nelly and the Saint Lunatics. Any any rap crew you name, the star always stayed the star. Lil Wayne was the third best. You had Juvenile, but he BG. was like he was like six. B- so he, he had a lot of a lot of potential. He didn't even curse yet. Exactly. Is that, is that, <laughs> so, and, and and he's sitting down with Katie Kirk and, and and stuff later on. So, but yeah, I, I enjoyed that concert, uh, especially when he did a lot of his old stuff. It took me back. So those two concerts right there. Why don't anybody like why, why people don't like Lil Wayne these days though? What about this? You know, he did once he did Lollipop and added the auto tune and all that stuff, you know, people people fell off. I love that album. Oh, He's and how because a, a million a million man goes so hard though. And and how he dresses. 
And how that was summer 2008. I mean, he a weirdo now. You got to admit. I mean, the, the skateboard thing, I mean, I actually like that. You He's know, still a beast. That, that was good with me when he made Prom Queen and everything. He, t- he, he dropped that rap or that rock album. I mean, yeah. he was good with me. Yeah, I ain't so, listening to no rock album. I have limits. Hey, man. Rock can get it sometimes. I mean, it goes hard. Yeah, so like, she's on fire. I did like that. Yeah. So, but anyway, so my best um concert, I I've been to a couple of like the big you know stadium concerts and everything, but I really like like the club concerts. Like, the ones where it's like you know 150, 200 people crammed into a small um, venue. You got the rapper and maybe one hype man on a small little um stage. And my favorite, Byron, you probably remember this one. Here in Birmingham, Classic Weekend, we, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we went to see Bun B. <laughs> and in the middle of the concert, Bun B was like, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. No, 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 Stop no. the music. We saw Pimp C. Yeah, Pimp we saw C. Pimp C. Yeah. Pimp C cussed out the club on in the DJ. <laughs> <laughs> he stopped the music. <laughs> and then he was like, hey, I just got a text. <laughs> Um, Bun B just got out. So, like, the whole club just went crazy, yo. It was so awesome, man. So, it was, man, that was such a good time that night, just being able to be there and be near them when that was happening and how hype everybody was, man. It was, it was a good time. So, that was like the best I've ever, um, the best concert I've ever been to. Because, uh, my, Sherman, I love that concert, but to my, if anybody knows me, my favorite artist of all time is Stevie Wonder. And this dude hadn't been on tour for years. And so he had a concert in Atlanta, I want to say in 2008 or 2009 um, at this amphitheater. And when I say the concert lasted hours, just it was like to the point where you're like, okay, we've been in here two hours. It's about to wrap up soon. And then he come up with like three more hits. You're like, God, how many hits this dude got? And I mean, it was just, I mean, because you, it was like, because his music was known and loved worldwide. It was black people, white people, it's like everybody uh, vibing, drinking. Uh, there was clouds in the air. It was just going on. And when I say this dude just killed it, and I'm, because uh, that was, like I said, I would say the first concert he did in 10 or 15 years. And the first tour he had did in 10 or 15 years. And I paid way, way too much money to go, but, uh, that was like one of those people, you know, that you always say you got to see before before they're not here. Never got to see Mike. Never got to see Prince. And so for me, he's on that level. So I can always say I saw one of the greats. So uh, that would be that would be me. I can respect that. Yeah. And I, I just had to correct what was going on. I think me and Byron might be talking about two different concerts because I remember that time <laughs> Pimpsey cussed out the... Uh, the uh, DJ and everything, but I really think it was Bun B that was there because Bun B never got locked up. It was Pimp right. C that got right. locked up. So it had to be Bun B telling us <laughs> that Pimp C had got out. So I don't know if you were there for that one then. It might have been somebody else, okay. but that concert, yeah, it was it was Bun B because Bun B. So man, that was that was a wild night once we found that out. All right, fellas, I think it's been a great episode. Uh, anything? Any thoughts? Well, it was just good to have Sherman on here, man. Um, we've mentioned him on some prior episodes, and uh, he talked a little bit about his incarceration. And I remember just going to visit him in the, the different places he was, Campbell June, North Carolina, Fort Leavenworth, all the way to Florida. 
and just visiting him, man, we just, I just used to always think, man, I can't wait till he's like outside of these walls and we can just talk to one another, you know, in a normal way. And I went to go visit him once he was out this past August, man. And, you know, Sherman, you and your wife, I told you in person, I'm telling you now, man, I just really appreciated the hospitality. It was great seeing, <clears throat> seeing you kicking it with you and to have you on this platform with us now promoting your book, participating, man. It's like a dream come true, man. It's like something we used to talk about that you knew would happen one day, but it seems so far out that it almost seems like it would never happen, man. So just to be living it in this moment right now, it's been truly a, tre a treasure, man. So I've enjoyed this show particularly today. Uh, let me just say this, and I'll, I think I'll close with this. You know, first and foremost, I thank God for, you know, I thank, you know, Christ for giving me the strength to make it through because I wouldn't have made it a day and wouldn't make it a day now had it not been for him. But right up, right along next to that, my family. And when I say my family, that's you three and uh, as well as, you know, my, my blood family. But you all have been there for me, you know, every step of this journey. Like that that night when everything went left and my whole life changed. <sighs> You know, you are what the first phone calls I made. And I mean, nobody knows how true that is, uh, how much you all mean to me, like, you know, the people who are, who are here right now. And, um, you know, I've been blessed. I've been blessed greatly in, in, into abundance. And I've been blessed with having you all in my life, bro. Like, I don't know if I would have made it through without the just the the steady, consistent love and support that you all gave me, man. And when I, as I said at the, at the start of this show, I'm so proud to have you all in my life and to call you all my brothers and to mean that with the deepest and utmost sincerity. I mean, this, and then like Byron said, it is a dream come true. It's a dream come true just to, to be here, to be on this platform with you all. And I, and I thank you for it, man. I thank you for for 20 plus years of holding me down, for 17 years when I was going to holding me down. And and more than anything else, as I said at the start of this show, I thank you all for remaining who we are and us being us. Man, talking to, talking to you just sitting here having this conversation with you is it it's like Byron said, it, it is. It's a, it's a dream come true, man. Like we we used to laugh and talk about it. Sometimes we'll be in like our group chat, and I'll I'll just be like, man, it's so good to have you here. I, I've shot that out a couple times in the group chat. It's like it it is crazy. And to the listeners out there, if you've got friends, family that's locked up, keep reaching out to them, man. Because I mean, you 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 can hear it in Cooley's voice. It, it makes a difference, right? Um. This is this is this actual episode is going to drop on Veterans Day. Um, and so shout out to the veterans out there. Same thing with anybody who has a, a veteran friend that's deployed in a different country. Just that they're two weeks or whatever, if they're reservists and they're just out on deployments or on, on missions right now. Um, reach out to them, call them, tell them you love them, shoot them a, a message, write them. Handwritten uh, messages make a big difference. I mean, because then you can go back and you can just reread it over and over and over again. You always got it. That paper makes a difference. So write letters, you know, write emails, make calls. You know, that that makes that makes a huge difference to get folks through those hard, tough times. So keep reaching out. 
Uh, and then happy Veterans Day to all the vets out there. Uh, Sherman, Ferg, happy Veterans Day to you guys. Thank you, so, Marquise. Marquise, Melvin, yeah. So any of the veterans that we know out there, you guys, um, holler at you guys, love you, uh, and keep doing what you guys do. All righty, uh, man. Man, Sherman, I wish we would have saved you for last, man. I mean, you're a hard act to follow, man, as usual. Uh, <laughs> you, you've been doing that for 20-plus years. But – You've been giving us a lot, a lot of praise, man. And I don't, I don't know if we've done our fair share of returning that, man. When I say I'm so proud of you from uh, your growth over the last 17 years, but still being you, but then just your, 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 your steadfastness with your religion and your beliefs and you coming in. I know a lot of times people, second guess people who have made one or two mistakes in their life and think they can't be uh reformed or a better person man you've been out grinding and your your passion for greatness and success i mean you've written god knows how many books you have degrees uh you you found love uh you you started your own business so anybody looking to get in shape Sherman is in still in great shape. He has what is Ignite Fitness. He's hopefully coming up with a plan for me once I get back in um, out of this cast. But dude, you you've done more than most people who had three or four times more opportunity than you have. So I mean, and the root of it, you still remain you. You haven't lost yourself. You're still a great person. When I you know, when I talk about friendship, you know, uh, rising our omegas, our motto is friendship is essential to soul. You're one of the first people that comes to my mind when I think of friendship. There were so many things we've been through over the years. Either you're all in, you're all out that I still hold true, you know, uh, to this point where I don't really have enemies because like I'm very particular on who I call my friends. And when I got your back, I got your back. And man, keep doing what you do. I can't re- wait to read the other stories and see your continued success. The fact that we have you on this podcast and the fact that you're our first guest is a is an honor. And so in your words, yes, these last five minutes have made us sound soft. I'll allow it. <laughs> and not only will I allow it, I love it, man. I mean, the fact that we've been through so much together over the years and we picked up where we left off. You know, uh, when people see us this 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 month, we're the same us. You know, we're still strong. I mean, we're still wise and we're still talented, man. We're still doing what we do. And so uh, from Three Brothers No Sense, this week, Four Brothers No Sense, you know, the Six Rules of Podcast, listen, like, share, subscribe, comment, and listen again. And hopefully we'll have Andre dropped on our uh, Facebook page when this episode drops. If not, we'll have it that same week. See you when we see you.